Lebowski Deepcast. Oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of the Big Lebowski. It allows life to exist in the bleak, black emptiness of space. Providing insight. I don't know she said that. <laughs> Maybe Saint Sneaker comes and like puts little trinkets in them. Commentary. He's found himself in a world turned upside down. <laughs> Flare, 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 flare. And conjecture. It looks like the pool is empty. They shot it all on a green screen. You can't do a pickup? And now, gutter balls. Bon voyage. There's something. I said something. All right. We're sailing on the sea. Kind of like the... The internet seas of audio podcasting. The Simpsons open where they would try to make a new cool thing every time for a new episode where they sat on the couch. Right. Which must end up being like very, like you're the guy in the office that has to come up with the new Simpsons couch thing. It's got to end up being tedious, doesn't it? Oh, let's have something new for the couch this week. Well, not to mention there's a new Bart's writing a different thing on the board every week. Ugh. And Lisa's saxophone solo is different every week. So when you work in the Simpsons office, that's the tedium. Well, you're assigned to the, uh, you know, chalkboard writing. I will not fart in my teacher's face, you know. It's got to be, like, mind-numbing after a while. I don't know. In some places, that's equivalent to, like, the most creative part. Probably. I don't know. What's your opinion, man? I think those uh, couch gags and chalkboard gags are actually pretty fresh, dude. So if that was your job, you'd be okay with that. I've I've spent 10 years of my life coming up with chalkboard and couch gags. And I don't be, know if I would do all 10 years. You'd be cool with that. I don't know that I would be cool for 10 years, but, you know, working on a show like The Simpsons, I mean, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Of course not. And, and but, coming up with those gags isn't. And if your job was just to like draw Homer Simpson's nose in every frame of every episode, like that would be tedium. You're still writing. You're still conceiving of something, right? Yeah, but and, I, I think you'd want to. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, <coughs> there's a little thing in there. <coughs> a little piece. <coughs> 
little piece manifested itself in my throat. Like a little piece of ramen. Why did this happen to me right now? <coughs> I think you'd want to, like, move up the ladder and start writing, like, dialogue, you know? <coughs> I'm not saying that. And not just conceptualize the couch gag every time. <coughs> the couch I'm sorry, it's terrible. What kind of, I mean, wouldn't you have a lozenge or something first? Ugh. I usually try to have a ling lozenged. You can do it. First. You can pronounce this. I have I, faith I, in I don't you. know. I don't know if I can. Lagenzi. It's Italian for throat soothing. Yes. I have a handy dandy mute button. You know what? And you may not know this, but I take advantage of it. You here know what? There. I've and noticed you're none the you... wider. And you're none the none the wiser. But when you're right. But when I have been the wiser, it's been hilarious because some of my finest moments, <laughs> at least personally, are when you lose control of like your vocal ducts and like, your throat meets and you go crazy and you're just back there like like hacking up a lung. And it's hilarious. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm saying you can't hear it. But no, but the times I can, like I usually oh, right. I probably only hear like two percent of it. Yeah. There was a couple times early on where that happened, yeah. yeah. They were just slamming right through. Pretty funny. I liked it. That's an audio gag. Yeah. Like a, like a couch gag. It's a couch gag. It's a chalkboard there gag. There was that uh, couch gag done by Banksy. What? Remember For the that? Simpsons? Yeah. No! What's that? Yeah, it was something really, it was really weird and disturbing. And it was just, like, put there at the front of a random episode? Yeah, it was, like, something... <laughs> I forget how they transitioned it, but in essence, like, you know, it switched to them on the couch and somehow transitioned to, like, the animation studio where it's being made, and it showed, like, the, like, sweatshop-like conditions and, you know, all these horrible things. Like, they're, like, killing, a ho killing horses to or something to like turn it into Simpsons episodes. That, that like, had to be fairly recent. It was recent. Two years recent. maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So this was to help market in through the outdoor basically. Um Exit through the gift shop. Exit I think this was not, quite a bit after not the that. Led Zeppelin album. Right. Instead the Banksy documentary, quote unquote documentary. Yes. Because yes. even Banksy is not above commercializing, man. No. Disco Stew may not monetize, not monetize, uh, advertise, but Banksy is not above it. Yeah. It was, the original air date was October 10th, 2010. Hmm. Interesting. I thought Exit to the Gift Shop was pretty good. Oh, it's a great movie. I love it. Yeah. I was riveted by the whole oh, thing. Oh, me too. Now, is that fella in the shadows, is that Banksy, or is it, uh, you know, what's his nuts? The stupid guy. Right. Well, that's, I guess, part of the... I mean, that's what some people have theorized. Right. Even just the movie at face value, right? The story of this guy, whatever his name is, Dr. Wonderful or whatever. <laughs> Mr. I don't Artist, think that's whatever, it. I don't think that's quite it. Whatever his name became. But, yeah. 
Good movie. Good but movie. Hard good to movie. discuss. Don't want to spoil it. It's a good movie, though. Yeah, you just watch it. Go ahead and watch it. Yeah. Uh, other movies, I guess we're in this section now. So, I feel extremely remiss. I talked about, you know, my carousel of favorite movies. It kind of rotates around. Different movies come flying in and out of there. It's not the same 10 movies every time. But yes. there's, a, there's a subset of my favorite 10 that's just watchable. So watchability is very important to me. If it's something that comes on and I look at it, that's very important. And that that's enough to like propel a movie up into my top 10 carousel. But I failed to mention perhaps the most watchable movie in my carousel. I mentioned he's just not that into you. Yes. And Legally Blonde. Yes. And obviously The Big Lebowski falls into this watchable category, but... Yes. Possibly the most watchable movie. And I just watched it. This is why it occurred to me. I just finished watching it like an hour ago. With my daughter, who also loves it. Which just, you know, makes my soul just, like, burst with joy. Galaxy Quest. Ah, Galaxy Quest. Very watchable. What a watchable movie that is. Yes, indeed. And, not only that, it is... And I always get this confused. So there's two movies that I bought a DVD player in the year 2000. In the year 2000. But I bought a DVD... First DVD player... Wow, what is this technology? You have to go to, like, the tiny section at Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. And there's these DVDs. But it was the small section. Like, they only had so many movies, like a hundred movies. It's like a tiny little, like, two shelves worth. Like, two. Right, right. And yet, so, okay, well, what the fuck? We have to choose from these because... You know, I was very stubborn, like, I'm not. No more VHS. It blows hardcore. It's 4-3, for God's sakes. It looks shitty. You have to rewind it for fuck's sake. So anyway, it's like, you buy a DVD player, you only rent DVDs now. And they were like, a dollar or two more. But I didn't care. Like, I'm getting that DVD. So, the first two DVDs... I rented after purchasing a DVD player. And I can't remember the order in which I rented them, and I wish I could. But it was Deep Blue Sea and Galaxy Quest. Deep Blue Sea. Samuel L. I was going to say, that's Samuel L. Jackson and the Sharks Become Smart. LL Cool J. He's the, uh, you know, the resident chef. Um, And I don't know if it's just... Like, the nostalgia factor of... I, I, I set up the DVD player in the basement so you could keep it real dark, and I had these giant speakers with, like, a big-ass receiver so you could make the house shake with the sound. And I bought a big TV, and I had my DVD player. I was feeling like hot shit. 
So I don't know if it's just the nostalgia of it, but I really, even to this day, love both of those movies. Hmm. How, do you, how do you feel about Deep Blue Sea? Let's, let's I, forget Galaxy Quest, because that's a horse of a different color. Deep Blue Sea I've never seen. Hmm. I just always presumed it to be so ridiculous as to not really bother watching it ever. Well, I think at this point you're correct. Like, you can't... You can't cash in on that. Now. I remember that it came out. What I remember that movie, maybe the only reason I even remember it so well is I believe it was released on the same day as Star Wars Episode One. They like, were like, like historically. Yes, like they both came out in theaters on the same day. It was like, but twenty-five years later or something. No, Star Wars Episode One. The Phantom Menace, 1999. Oh, I'm sorry, Star Wars. I also yes. just watched Star Trek, so I get confused yeah, okay. easily. I'm a yes. simple, simple man, Brad. Right. So it was like they put this movie up against, you know, the juggernaut. Bad idea. Right. Biggest movie release ever. Well, it was a good idea. I mean, that was their, I think their strategy was to get the spillover. What but happens is people go to the theater. They can't get into Star Wars. Can't get into Star Wars. It's all sold out. And they're like, well, we're here. We can go see this. I think that was the studio. That was like the plan. They're like, we have this movie with sharks and Samuel L. Jackson. What the hell are we going to do with it? They're like, well, if we put it out at the same time as Star Wars, we'll get the spillover. Now, I see your logic there. It's sound to a degree, but... I think the expectation to payoff ratio comes into play a little bit here because if you're lining up and sleeping overnight out in front of a movie theater with tents and snacks, mm -hmm. you know, and water bottles, blankets, and then you spend your 38 hours in line only to find out, no, you cannot see this movie because we're sold out. And then the alternative is Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Like, right, that, right. That, that's actually going to hurt the movie way worse. Well, it doesn't just, matter. They still have your cash, right? It's, it's, a, it's purely a money-making But only endeavor. one round of cash. Like, the, when the, you know, well, double maybe, jeopardy, when the dollars really add up, it's when the word of mouth happens and you get these, like, rounds and well, rounds sure. of cash. Well, they're not even planning on that. I mean, most of these movies make almost all their money in the opening weekend. That's that, the, the play. Is that true? That's true for vast majority. It's only the, the rare, like, you know, lightning in a bottle type things that go on and on. Like, even movies that are relatively popular. Like, Iron Man 3. Like, no one's seeing that movie anymore. That's like three weeks ago. Forget oh, it. Oh, is that still out there? Yeah. I haven't seen like, it. Like, they, they, they rock that out. Hmm. So, um... Interesting. And I don't think it's for the people that waited in line for 36 hours. Those people got in. It's for the people that show up. It's like, oh, Star Wars Episode One is playing tonight at 7.45. Let's go see it. And they get to the theater at 7.40. Right. And they're like, huh. You're, you're probably right. Well, we can see sharks. I mean, I've been in that position. Or, like, you get there 10 minutes too late and it's already started Right. Uh, it's like, well... There was just going to be so many people around theaters, or like, you know, who knows what. Like, parents take their, you know, mom takes their kids to see Star Wars, and it's like, well, I'm, I'll go see this 
that has that lovely Samuel L. Jackson in it. And I like sharks. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I'll watch this. That's a bit of a stretch. You know what? It's not that much of a stretch, honestly. The only reason it's a bit of a stretch is because, you know, I think Star Samuel Wars episode Jackson one, is actually not that beautiful. Well, I think he's pretty beautiful, but I think Star Wars Episode One and Deep Blue Sea kind of target the same demographic. He's hard. He's a little hard looking. I don't know. There's a, there's a market for hard looking gentlemen. True. True. So do you want to know what the first movie I ever rented on DVD was? Well... You may not want to know. Apparently it wasn't either of these two, so no. sure, I guess. Man, is this going to frighten me at all? No, I don't think so. It's just kind of random. Does it, it was... involve puppets? No. Okay, go ahead then. So. The Sixth Day. I thought you were going to say The Sixth Sense, because that would have fallen... Like, you know, historically Roughly in, in that, that area, yeah. I mean, I got my DVD player in 2000 as well. First DVD player. The Sixth Day. That's not End of Days starring Arnold no. Schwarzenegger. No, this is, although it's another movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wait, The Sixth Day is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. I knew there was some, like, day-day business going on with him right around the right. same time. He had right. End of Days and Sixth Day. Day. Did it star um, like Willem Dafoe or something? End of Days was 1999. I'm talking about the sixth day. The the sixth day did not have. Who was the Willem baddie? Dafoe. Who was the baddie in that? You know, I don't even remember. It might have been. You should as, consult as, the as I'm looking box. at IMDb. I don't know which of these characters was the bad guy. I don't remember the movie that much. I'm going to guess it's Tony Goldwyn. That's disappointing. Yeah, none of these people listed here are really... Well, Michael Rooker was in it. I don't know who that who is. Who is... I'm not that he, well informed. He is... Um, do you watch The Walking Dead? Yes. He's Merle. Is that the redneck fella? He is the the redneck fella's brother. brother that's even the more rednecky. The suit, yeah, the one that's a little okay. too much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I have. Yeah. I'm not up on this season totally. I haven't caught up, so let's yeah. not go down nope, there. No, we much. won't go down there. But yeah, good show. Terry yes. Crews was in it as well. Very good. Small. Show. Michael Rappaport. Yeah, well, he's everywhere. You know, he's he, around. He's, things, he's, he's yeah. like another PS off sort of fella, Michael mm, Rappaport. Maybe. Well, in some ways. He's in, yeah. you know, True Romance, possibly the best movie ever made. My thinking with The Sixth Day was like, well, I want to buy, I didn't want to get like a, I wanted to get maybe just a fun movie. You don't want to get like, some character study for your first yeah, DVD. I mean, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to get something kind of blockbuster and it was like, yeah. okay, well, this is out. It was like, you know, like, I think it maybe it just come out on DVD. I don't know. And it was just like, oh, here's this movie. I Just like, all right. I don't know. It was just like, okay, it has action in it. You know, Schwarzenegger action movies are, are fun. At least they were at some point. At some point. This may have been the first step down the uh, rabbit hole. I don't think, well, I think there. I think there was many steps prior, prior to this. But, you know, it did have... It did have, uh, you know... 
it, it was I, as I remember, it was okay to watch. It was nothing great, but it was like, well, you know, it had some effects, some action. It had like you know the the little you know sci-fi hook, you know. So it wasn't so terrible. You had to turn it off or anything. No, not like that. But I have to say, I'm gonna say a one-two punch of Galaxy Quest and Deep Blue Sea trumps your. What is it? The sixth I would say day? definitely Galaxy Quest. I never saw Deep Blue Sea. In my mind, I would probably put them on the same level. Six Day and Deep Blue Sea. Perhaps. Maybe Deep Blue Sea is like a, a gem, and I, it's really awesome. I think it's a little bit of a gem. Yeah, it's not awesome, but it's a bit of a gem. I think underrated, perhaps. But Galaxy Quest, I never tire of it. It's really good. Really good. Snape is in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, as we've discussed before, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so I appreciate Galaxy Quest and all of its cheesiness or making fun of cheesiness of Star Trek, and I can appreciate it. Yeah, deliberate cheesiness. They do such a great job of, like, poking fun at that genre, but also making it like visceral. And you have an emotional reaction to it. It almost brings me to tears. I'm going to say that. I don't... Has the statute of limitations run out on spoilers for Galaxy Quest? Like, can I talk about it, do you think? Yes, you can. Okay. So Quillick dies. This is... uh, So Snape is Dr. Lazarus. With yeah. his stupid headgear, right? He's the Spock character, basically. And one of the Thermians, like, really takes to him because he's he's seen Dr. Lazarus from the historical documents as a father figure. So it's like really a big deal for this one Thermian called Quillick to, you know, serve with Dr. Lazarus. And... When Quillick gets shot and dies, Alan Rickman's character, Dr. Lazarus, has like eschewed this trite sort of catchphrase by Grabthar's hammer. Like he doesn't say it, he hates it. It's the bane of his existence. It's the thing he hates most about his life. He's got to go to these like Star Trek esque conventions and utter this catchphrase. He hates it because he's like this theater guy. But Quillick gets shot, and as he lays there dying, Alan Rickman's character, Dr. Lazarus, comes around, and this trite, cheesy line turns into something more. And I just feel like there's like dozens of moments like that in Galaxy Quest that take it from sort of a lame, not lame, but like a cheesy... Uh, Star Trek, uh, just parody, mm-hmm. and transform it into something more like a legitimate, yeah. like heartfelt movie. And there's definitely. tons of those moments that I just love. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a kind of a comedy, and a way a send up, not of Star Trek, but maybe of like Star Trek fans or just the phenomenon of like sci-fi. So it's like, yeah. The fans, but also like the actors that end up playing these roles that get like so typecast or like, you know, put in the, their, you know, become such a huge part of their career. 
but then at the same time it is not just pure comedy there is yes definitely a serious character i don't know serious might not be the right word but yeah there's this it's emotion it's definitely heartfelt. heartfelt yeah yeah in there it's good it's a good movie surprisingly good movie like i did not when i watched that i was like well what is this you know like you see the commercial it's just like i don't even get i don't think the commercials really explained it or maybe i just wasn't paying attention I was just like i don't even like that really but people are like no it's really good you gotta go you gotta see it and i watched it and i was like yeah that was really good it was really entertaining super entertaining probably tricky business to create a trailer for that movie to convey all the nuance of you know star trek send up but not yeah well and even just the whole yeah yeah it's it's kind of a tricky way it's like a premise within a premise within a premise kind of thing because you have it's about the actors in a tv show but then there's it's real like yeah it's kind of a weird thing to wrap your head around like very quickly yeah well, we could talk so, about uh, yeah. Big Lebowski. I have a maybe. lot of places I could jump off here, but you know, I'm thinking maybe we should talk a little bit about the Big Lebowski. I have nothing to revisit, first of all, which is surprising. That might, Usually, that's like one of the first times. Because we only did, wasn't it only like a 48-minute episode last time? I think so. And we have nothing to revisit? Yeah. Do you have anything? I mean, I don't. I don't have anything to revisit. The thing that I notice is this is the fifth episode in a row where we're at this scene. Yeah, so it gets tricky because the, the like the geography of the scene, you can't comment. Like, you right. tap that we, out. Yeah, we talked about the, tap ceiling, that ass. the ceiling tiles and what aisle they're bowling in and everything else. We talked about the pinkies in the background. Reverse shot. And they haven't done any more jumping around or anything. No. So... I mean, but we've been here now for a while. So, like, yeah, so this is the fifth episode where fifth? we're... Really? Fifth? 26, 27, 28, 29, and this is 30. Wow. This is the fifth one now that we are on talking about the Jesus. So this is our epic Jesus arc. Now he's, it's coming to a close now. It's coming to a close. We, we close out the Jesus halfway through. Yeah, yeah. So four and a half minutes is this entire, this entire scene got to be the longest scene we've tackled thus far could could be i i definitely, mean definitely up there yeah i don't know if there's a scene a scene that we've done this many episodes in a row row on think about the tumbleweed how long that seemed and that was only three different episodes right so yeah this is five episodes that's crazy but you know that's why they really needed torturo to sign on to this, they knew this was important, so they're going to spend some time with it. Right. You know, we talked, this is something that just popped into my mind watching this minute. Again, thinking about how Turturro is so good, and how, you know, for this part, they went to this. I'm going to throw something out here, but this A-list actor for this small part. And, you know, we talked before about how the Coen brothers talked to him about this role, role for years. And he kind of had the impression he'd be the star of the movie. They talked about it so much. Right. I'm just wondering, is there like an initial draft, like two years before they shot this movie, or an initial outline or something where he was more of a major character? Like he was the dude's arch nemesis, like foiling him at every step, and some eventually the character just gets relegated to this one scene. I mean, that's funny you say that. I don't... 
my initial reaction is no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But the impression you get upon first viewing when they spend four fucking minutes with this guy and the, like the details of his ankle and his socks and his coke nail and his hairnet and his little stitching, the impression you get is this whole kidnapping, like sort of film noir plot that we were teasing you with is irrelevant now. This is now a movie about epic bowling battles and here here is the antagonist and the movie from now on is going to be the dude walter and donnie like battling their way through the round robin and it's a bowling movie now everything else is secondary but i don't think that or it turns out that the jesus kidnapped her (laughs) <laughs> right, right, something. He becomes it, the it, main player. Yeah, it somehow all ties together. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think so. I think it's just more you know, the characters it's only about characters and the plot is meaningless at this point. So it's like, let's introduce the craziest, most over the top characters we can, and then we move on and get some more crazy characters. Cause they had to feel like Shit, yeah, we landed Torturo for the Jesus. Because otherwise it would have been like, you know, landlord Marty caliber actor. Like some no-name right. sort of guy. But Or would know, they have just like cut it out completely, maybe? Good question. I don't know. Hard to tell. Or, or maybe they would go with a different, you know, high caliber actor. Like who? Like who could fit in there? Alfred Molina. Yes. He'd be real good. Yes. I'm trying to think of actors from the late 90s also. I'm trying to limit it. Well, Steve Buscemi, but unfortunately he's already in the movie. Right. But he could have played the Jesus pretty good. Brad Pitt? In 98. He's like all uh, seven years in Tibet at this point. He's trying to be serious. I don't think so. I'm not saying he would have done it, but I'm just trying to imagine him in the part, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're going to stick it to like, yeah, they can't get to Turo, who would they get? Hmm. It's just a fun mind game to play, right? Start putting it's a thought these, experiment. Different, these different actors in there. Like, you know, like... Uh, Benicio Del Toro. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. You That's know? the obvious choice. <laughs> well, you say that now that I said it. You didn't right. come up with it. I no, had to no. throw it out there. Well, I'm just mean like that'd be even too obvious for the Coen brothers to put him in there. Because he's coming like straight off of Fear and Loathing. It's like yeah. you can't play the the good doctor in Fear and Loathing and then come right into the Jesus or vice versa. It's too crazy. You get Johnny, typecast. Johnny Depp. Since we're talking Fear and Loathing. You know that would have never happened. You know? He can't play a bit part. Even in 98, he can't play a bit part. He's he's too big time. He... He played a bit part in the 21 Jump Street remake. When was that? A couple years ago? A couple years ago. Maybe just one year ago. Okay, but not 1998. No. That's a different thing. He was in well, the original Jump Street, 21 yeah, exactly. Jump Street. He had, to, so he had to make time for that. He had to put some put his face in there a little bit. Apparently, he was in that, and the main actors, like uh, Chad, what is it, Tatum, Channing Tatum, and 
Sure. Whatever that's the little name. kid is. Whatever. They didn't know it was Johnny Depp at the time they filmed this scene. Because he was like in kind of like makeup. Like he had like a hat and like beard or something. I didn't <laughs> see the movie. This I, is what I read. Because I, I read the trades. Yeah, it was but, after they shot the scene. He was like, surprise, it's really me, Johnny Depp. Yeah, they were all like, Dude, like to no keep way. up on the uh, current events. Yeah. And then share them with you two years afterwards. You know, you're more current than I am, so, you know. So. Be proud of that, at least, man. We've got a. All right. So we've got this document. The good reverend shared us a document here. Um, interesting perspective on the supporting characters. Did you follow this link at all? The 10 most Once intriguing again, supporting characters in The Big Lebowski. This is from from the Reverend. Yeah, the good the good Reverend. The good Reverend, not doctor, of course, never that. Um a lot of these we have moved past, but I thought it was maybe appropriate to focus on Liam because Liam is one of the 10 most intriguing supporting characters in the movie according to this this site tasteofcinema.com Liam O'Brien uh, I just the, the salient point here I guess is that he color coordinates his shirt with the Jesus's jumpsuits I think it's more like the Jesus has coordinated his jumpsuit with their shirts. How can you know? How can you well, know that? Let's put it this way. Everyone. You're awfully cocksure yourself about that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Every, the thing that's strange is everyone, with the exception of the, our triumvirate here, they do have color-coordinated outfits. Every team has at least some semblance of like solidarity. Yeah. Like Smokies team, they're all wearing the same bowling shirts. Sure, the Pinkies. There's the Pinkies. Yep. The Jesus and O'Brien. And the unnamed third. And the unnamed third. And, yeah. They just don't care. But Donnie is like, he at least wears a bowling shirt. Like, he can't get Walter and the dude to go along with him, but at least he's wearing right. a bowling shirt every time. Well, it's he, like, that might cost money. Well, he's probably trying to, like, subtly influence them to, hey, maybe we should up our production value a little bit. You know, maybe having that team spirit can actually make a difference on the lanes. You know, if you're jazzed about being together and part of something that's bigger than yourself, maybe you bowl, maybe you throw better, maybe you roll more rocks. But it's just not working because the dude and Walter aren't going to spend any money on uniforms. I wanted to have some uh, reflective surfaces, but I didn't. What I... Well, no, that's not... You know what? That is not entirely true. I do have some reflective surfaces to talk about. All right. You may have read this. I don't think I did. All right. Good deal, then. So we're talking now about we leave the bowling alley and 
Walter says, eight-year-old's dude. And then we see the dude from above laying on his rug. Yes. He is loving life at this point. He's got this awesome rug he can lay on. He's got his Sony AM-FM Walkman with a tape of Venice Beach League playoffs from 1987 that he's listening to on headphones. Glorious. Don't don't forget Bob. Well, side B. That's side B. But yes, maybe he's listening to side B. Well, we can hear the bowling. Side B is Bob bowling. Well, side B. I guess we could. We'll just skip to that. Side B is Bob Dylan, because we're skipping Uh, ahead now. But. He's about to get punched in the face, and he goes right. on his little carpet ride. When That's we come back, he's listening to Bob Dylan. Does his... Does this Walkman have any indication that it can automatically switch the other side? It might. I can't read the fine print on it, but this is a pretty contemporary Walkman for 1991, so... You know how those were. It's like they just switch over. They would just keep switching back and forth. Right. I think one of the advancements was it would go side A and then switch over, play side B, then stop. But a lot of times they would just keep switching back and forth, just keep playing. Like you'd run your batteries down too. A lot of times if you fell asleep with it like this. But anyway, he gets punched in the face and... uh Wakes up with the um, man, the man and me playing again, Bob right, Dylan song, right? So. Well, which we hear throughout his little dream sequence, also. Yep. But we'll get we'll get to all this. We're jumping. We're jumping, but it's we just need to make the point that it's it's more diegetic. Yeah, music. exactly. So. And it is and it is Bob Dylan. I'm an idiot for not thinking that way. I, you know, took me a long time to notice that. Here's another one. So before we go too far, visually, yes. Can do you see a headphone wire extending from the Walkman to his ears? He's wearing headphones. Yes, I'm looking. Um, I I don't. I um, don't. I well, when the close-up shot, you can see it. Oh, I don't. And granted, it's hard to see with the, um, you know, with the pattern on the rug and the way the lighting is, but it's there. It's on the right side of the Walkman. Okay, I do see it. No, I thought that was a pattern. I do see it now. And it, and the, and it kind of perfectly matches the pattern there, like the green like leaf, but then it continues to go on. So you could assume that in the wider shot, maybe that's also happening, I guess. Okay. Okay. All right. I thought we had a big one there, but no, you're right. We do yeah. see the wire. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, it's difficult to see. And in the close-up of his face, you can see a wire coming out of the left earphone, kind of over his hoodie there. Yeah. The dude, you, yes. Speaking of hoodies, the dude is wearing the same clothes as in the previous scene. Of him in the bowling alley. For a moment or two, Jesus. I thought that he was wearing a V-neck in the bowling alley, but that's just because he had the beeper right. pinned to the shirt, which was dragging the point of the 
the uh, scoop neck down to make it yes. look like a v-neck yes so yes he is wearing the same yeah. outfit yeah and you can see the hooded the hoodie next to him in the bowling alley laying there on the chair over the chair yeah. in the same uh checkered pants plaid pants whatever you want to call that so yeah now when so he- are we moving on to the second half now yeah, I think so. I think we're. Good I think with we that. need to before that. We have to like commemorate somehow the Jesus. We have one. We need one last kind of like Hurrah. salute. How, salute. How so? Do you have ideas about that? Well, we could just stop to observe, observe the awesomeness one last time. We've done it for five episodes. This is the fifth episode. We always have to say the Jesus rocks. I'm going to miss talking about him every week. Well, and this is very good. Thank you for doing this because the very last shot we see of the Jesus, it's <laughs> yes. I think I, know, I think I know what you're gonna say. Do you mean his like strut of his neck? Yes. Yeah. Well, this whole scene. So I think we have to talk about this scene. You know, Ugh. he starts. You know, he's he's a, he. You know, he's. You know, talking to Walter, you know, you pull any of that psych out stuff, flash a piece on the lane. I'll take it from you and shove it up your ass and pull the trigger till it goes click. Again, (laughs) is that (laughs) excellent line? How do you write that? I don't know, but it's just so yeah, it's so good. And then the next, the little again, wordplay, you know. The dude's reaction, like the Jesus, like the dude is just looking at him, like, "What the fuck is with this guy?" Jesus. And he goes, "Jesus, you said it, man. You said it, man. <laughs> Nobody fuck with the Jesus." And then he does the little with his head and neck, like strut, like yeah, the head, and neck, and on. hip. You know, yeah, he they, gets it all moving. He he worms his so hips around good. like. <laughs> so- Sliding back and then forward with like a little like almost like a like a lip lick. It's just <laughs> and it's it's almost like because you can't you can't just lay your eyes on the next time we see him and the maneuvers he does with his hipple areas without having some little bit of uh like pre teaching for his body language because he does this little hip maneuver like you said it man nobody fucks with a jesus and he like does this little hip thing kind of pokes it out there a little bit the next time we see this fella and maybe this is the second gut punch or the uppercut that you were talking about i'm not sure but that is a hell of a thing when because he comes all like smashing over because walter has changed the date of their match. But getting ahead of ourselves, I don't want to go too far with that right now. But this is like Jesus light. So we just got our minds blown, and it's Jesus light at this point. And what's funny is, his eyes, which were so twisted and hyper-focused, like Madman's eyes when he was about to roll... When he's interacting with humans, they're kind of like lifeless and dead now. And it's his entire body that's 
like lasering out this this persona and his eyes are dead now like a lot like before when we first saw him we had this close up with this twisted grin in his eyes like madman's eyes and now they're kind of lifeless and dead and i'm at 2920 it's weird and it's just a thing where thespians do their thing and it's like well no now the high drama is over i'm just I'm in a more placid state, so my eyes are dead. You see this at 2920? His dead, lifeless eyes, like mm-hmm. Jaws. Yeah, I think we mentioned that a little earlier, but yeah, it is weird. His eyes. It's just part of his, like, yeah, I don't know what it is. Psych out. Psych out something. And he uses his tongue just as he's turning away. Yeah. He's like licking his lips. Yeah, he that's a that's a full body performance. It From is. From the tongue to the hips to the feet, it's all there. Which is what every I, fiber of that dude of Totoro has become the Jesus at that point. I was it's trying emanating to channel. I was trying to channel this fella at the Hallow wedding when I dressed up as the Jesus. Cuz I knew it's like I didn't break character, you know, I was a method actor. I needed to like be in it the entire time because otherwise why bother so we, we, we've got some pictures of me at this wedding but all Did of you... the pictures I'm in the zone because you have to be he embodies this guy because weirdly enough that like the dude Jeff Bridges once in a while, we get into some debates about whether or not he's fully in character. And there's, you know, like, well, I don't feel like this is appropriate for the dude as a character. Mostly you say this. Sometimes yes. I agree with you. The Jesus doesn't have any lapses. He's fully no. in it. And maybe that's just because no. he's only on set for two days or something. But And he doesn't have to, like describe the entire character arc like you know major characters do main characters do but like he's not out of it for a millisecond right well plus it's also he has this these just several scenes that are very uh impactful yes liam uh goes ahead and looks at the camera a lot a lot like four times. I know he four times. Yeah, he's flirting with the camera, and like for almost Do you think half he a was second. Directed to look there. Is it just a mess up? Like they think he's looking at Goodman or something? I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, he's looking. His eyes, man. Yeah, look at that. Holy mackerel! He goes and goes. It, yeah, it's four times. Like he can't get enough of it. It's like a moth to the friggin' flame. You know, I understand this phenomenon. It's, you're there, you're in front of the lens, it's like you know that's the thing that's looking at you. It's very difficult to pretend it's not there. That's like 70% of acting, is like being able to realize a reality in which that giant thing is not looking at you. But he's just shamelessly... Well, and there could be something going on on the other side of the camera catching his attention i don't know you'd think they'd you know be careful about that kind of shit 
and not have too much going on back there, especially when you have a non-professional in front of the lens. Oh, so now you're calling Liam a non-professional? Yes. I don't think he's a professional. I think he was just someone they put in there. You can go to his IMDB page. His name is James G. Hoosier. Guess how many movies he has under his belt? One. Um, I'd say that's two. correct. Is it two? No, it's one. It's one. I was just guessing. I just looked it up. Yeah, one. The Big Lebowski. Yet, strangely enough, he has like a a biography and everything. All right. Got it all there. Hoping someday somebody will call. Like his phone's going to ring again. Nickname, Jimbo. He he grew to be an avid bowler, which made him the obvious choice to play Liam, the silent but deadly fat guy dancing associate of Jesus the Jesus Quintana. When the Cohen brothers came calling at his adopted home in Winthrop, Massachusetts, prestigious Governor's Park, he couldn't refuse. Today, Jim Hoosier entertains captive audiences with his own one-man show entitled No Father Don't, which runs every winter at the Cape Cod Playhouse in Hyannis. Brad, okay, I think this winter there's a road trip in store. We live in a special and tainted world. A world in which James G. Hoosier performs a show entitled no father, father. don't <laughs> why what? we are going we sir are going to the Cape Cod Playhouse in Hyannis this winter you know that's true it We're is happening it. we are doing it because let's hope this this is accurate I this would be Let's a hope cruel. It's not like oh, last last winter was the last time we're doing it. Sorry. This would be a cruel jape at our expense if Jimbo is not performing. No father, don't this winter. I mean, shit. It's a, and that's beautiful country up there. So it's not like we're only going there to see him. Like it's nice. There's oh, the it's rocky nice. I've been to Cape Cod many times. Yeah, it's nice. I love Cape Cod. Added bonus of, you know, seeing no father don't. Yeah. I w- so it says, which runs every winter, but how often? Just once in the winter? You have to enter a lottery in order to see it? No, we'll have to do some more after, after, after this. We'll have to do some more research into this. Yeah. We don't need to do that right now, like, during the show. That's probably not interesting. But, yeah, if it's going, there we go. Um, catch Road lights. trip. Real quick, catch yes. lights. Yes, catch lights. Oh, let's talk about this. You know what a catch light is? Um, to refresh my memory. All right, well, if you watch this movie, the film, Big Lebowski, we cut to the dude reclining, just laying there on his rug, see a little shot of his Walkman, and then we cut to a close-up of his face. He opens his eyes. It's very quick. Catch lights now are an intentional reflection. So the eyes are the window to the soul. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. 
he opens his eyes, and you see a sparkle in each eye. That's because they have a big light there with a nice soft reflector. It's like a giant piece of silk or wax paper, you know, like like two feet wide by four feet. And they put it there, and it serves multiple purposes, one of which is to make the light softer so you don't have, like, harsh shadows. And the second purpose is it creates these little glints in his eyes. So it's like you're drawn to these sparkles, these dots in his eye. Nice work because you want to like, you have to have a focal point. And of course it's going to be the eyes, but without that reflection in there, you're not drawn to them as much. So it's just one of those things. They took yeah, a little one of those care. Nice things. One of those nice things. And what made me think about this is there's a, there's a scene in, uh, I want to call it Shutter Island, I think. Is that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. 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 Who's that? Uh, fucking Bob De Niro's in that, is he? Maybe? I don't think so. Or somebody else. I don't know. Who the fuck knows? But it's is Leo. In Leo's in there. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot where he's like, like sitting on a chair, but like down in some basement area, and it's completely dark, and... He just lights a candle, and the candle was supposed to serve as the catch light. But they were using um, a camera, maybe it was an Alexa or something, that had such great dynamic range that just using the candle, you could see the little sparkles in each eye, and it's like, yes, we just used a candle for the catch light. So it's a catch light. You gotta light up the eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I think of lighting the eyes, my mind goes to, like, ring flash. What's that? A ring flash is a flash. So this is, I'm going to, like, uh, you know, still photography world. I'm clueless about it. It's like a flash. It actually goes around the lens. And lights all the way around, like 360 degrees. Gotcha. And by putting the light on the exact same, you know, plane as the lens, it creates this kind of, like, really dramatic effect. And you can actually see, like, if you're taking, like, a portrait of someone with this flash, that's what it's mainly used for. You have this, like, really kind of dramatic portrait lighting. You know, very stylized. Not for a typical portrait. Right, right. But it can be used... Um, you know, and it really brings out like all this detail. It's an effect, basically. But the eyes, you'll see, like, you'll see the ring reflected in the eyes, and there'll be this like bright ring in each eye as Mm. part of it. Interesting. And it's 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 interesting. But it is an effect. It's not something. It's not a day to day thing that you would do. I mean, I don't know. I could see if I was like maybe taking. Yeah, yeah, not a day to day thing for for portraits. Or maybe even, you know, it might be interesting, like, if there was a party and I was, like, walking through the crowd trying to, like, and I was going to be obnoxious enough, enough to use a flash, you know, you could probably create some interesting things. Maybe. There's a there's a lighting uh, technology used in motion. Um, when you're shooting a green screen or a blue screen, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's 
it's a ring that goes around the lens that sounds very similar to this. And yeah, so it's a circle and you just put it around the lens and it's um, LED lights. Okay, right, yeah, because it's motion, it has to they're remain in, lit. Yeah. Yes, and they're intensely bright and they're continuous. But then you buy a special like green screen that has... I'm just going to throw random words out there. Diodes, diopters, reflective shitnickers. Calibrated to those LEDs. So you shine the LED and it lights up the face pretty like evenly, but also like reacts with the green, the physical piece of fabric, like green fabric that has all these like shitnickers back there and reflects it back and it's like a perfectly even green so you use it for compositing okay it sounds very similar to this where it's like it goes around the lens and does the like performs this very specific function yeah yeah even lighting that was the kind of concept i was struggling to say like it gives this like really even lighting onto your subject Right, no contrast then, ratio. It's just like yeah. even. And and you know if you could combine that with like some like high detail or maybe yeah, like you like you know I, I think it was really popular in like for a while. I just remember seeing like in magazines maybe like five years ago lots of these kind of portraits of yeah, people. Yeah, I feel like like they're looking right see, into like, the lens. It's like bam. You would see like every single little pore and wrinkle on their skin and it almost looked like they were like too real like plastic or something yeah i feel like i know this and i mean ring flashes don't always have to look that i mean that's that's another element saying we're catching that detail but it's that real even lighting and then yeah and then it has that characteristic like circle in the eye you just okay you can just see that circle in the eye but but we digress the dude gets punched in the face. Mm-hmm. We have two thugs here. So here's our first look at Maud, which we don't know yet who this woman is or her name. It's another non-sequitur. Another non-sequitur. So far, like, this is, yeah. The second time a group of thugs has broken into his house and roughed him up. It will not be the last time. No. <laughs> so here are these two thugs. But here's the thing. These are not thugs. These are like like assistant artists. This, yeah. is, this is like a character or plot thing maybe that always rubbed me the wrong way because Maud later apologizes to him for having what's-his-nuts punch him. I don't know if we even know these fellas' names, but like they're just there to get the rug back. They're not a violent people. They're artists. So... It's very incongruous to Maud's whole worldview that, like, the denim, one of the denim fellas, <laughs> right. like, smashes him in the face. It would have been more like, hey, we need to take this rug back. But she, he just smashes him in the face. So is Maud this conniving that, like, she's already sizing up a potential sperm donor? No, I think that's exactly what she's doing. Like, she's very... She had him punched uh, manipulative just to have the excuse to, to get him to him. go to the doctor and make sure his, he's fertile. Yeah, and yeah, good breeding stock. Is fertile the right word? Can a man? Well, I think it was just the trick that he was fertile. 
I mean, maybe it was. They have him, like, they check him down there. I, I don't know. I think it was more just, like, to make sure he's not a... He would be a suitable... But he's suitable biological material. Genetic material. Well, in he's, all regards. But he's not, though. He's thorough. He has uh, failed, I think, every test except having swimmers. Well, I think they wanted it, maybe not his character, but, you know, test to make sure he doesn't have any, like, you know, serious medical issues, right? That might be genetic. Uh, okay, okay. But yeah, but talk about these two assistant artists. So these two thugs, as I described them. And at first glance, they're thugs, but if right. you really stop, because you only see them for a few seconds here, if even that long. You just assume they're more treehorn-esque. Yeah, but people. they're not really. Yeah, they're in these matching denim outfits. The guy on the the guy on the left is a little more believable, simply because he's not quite as far gone. The guy on the right, whose shirt is unbuttoned just a little bit further down, and his uh, sleeves aren't like rolled up. I want to say cuffed. But that's what you do to pant legs. I don't know what the well, word is when you do it with the think, sleeves. I think cuffing is an appropriate term for what he's right doing word? to his sleeves there. Yeah, his sleeves are cuffed. But that he, being he said, has an earring. the guy on the left has a more ridiculous belt. It's, it's studded with silver rivets. I think they both have the silver rivets. Well, but the guy on the left has silver rivets wrapping around right on the front, and the guy on the right... They're only in the back there. Yeah. So they're only on a part of the belt. Like, the guy on the left is fully riveted. True, true. But you don't know what you're looking at when this happens. Like, what? what <laughs> what's happening? But he punches him in the face that's just so out of character. For peace-loving, you know, bleeding-heart liberal artists. Even for someone as calculating as Maud, who just wants a father, a sperm donor for her child. Like, it's... That's a lot. You wouldn't think she would resort to violence to get what she wants. But here she is. I'm not sure. I see what you're saying. And I definitely can't argue with it, but I'm, I'm, I think it's one of these other themes we're going to have to look at as we go forward, as we learn about Mod more, look for some more clues to see if there's other, like, you know, explicitly her being, you know, more, like you say, a, a bleeding heart, or even perhaps more importantly, a, uh, you know, pacifist of some kind. Well, and she's not a pacifist. Tendencies. She is a feminist, so... Right. By her own admission. So there's a big difference between pacifism and feminism. Right. Another ism is involved. Another ism. Isms abound. Yeah. So the dude gets punched. Right in the face. And, and you see the punch as a firework. A firework which turns into little dots. You know, and then there's these. There's another sound effect. I just want to. I'm going to start pointing out every time I make a sound effect because I think it might be a problem. I think I do it a lot, like just in day to day, and I think people might like think it's weird. Like I think I'm kind of weird for it a little bit. 
I don't think I, regular people do sound effects so much. So I'm gonna, I have to say, I'm gonna start tracking my sound effect behavior. I guess. Well, I think you need to track yours as well as some other people's to have a comparison. Well, can you track some people's also? I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll start tracking some sound effects. Do you know anybody life. that makes sound effects regularly? Well, I would never consider you someone that makes sound effects regularly, so and obviously yet, I'm not paying close enough attention. And yet here we are. I just made one. I do it every episode. I feel like I do like a or something. Sometimes that's just the best way to convey your message. Obviously I think so, but I don't think regular people think so. I think it's a little weird. Sometimes I notice people making sound effects to me, and it it's off-putting. It puts me off. I'm like, Ugh, well, I think oh, if you notice it, it puts you off. But sometimes it can mm. just happen in the flow in a way that's completely unnoticeable. It doesn't draw attention to itself. Okay. Okay. Maybe that's my theory right now. All right. That's my theory. See, I like that. That makes me seem less insane. But I don't know if it's true. I think sometimes. Sometimes a person just uses sound effects inappropriately, and that's all they do. Which yeah, I, there so may be people like that. I guess I'm agreeing with you. Is There's a time and a place. The question is whether or not I'm using them appropriately. It, it terrifies me because I found myself... Do you talk to yourself? Sometimes, like out unfortunately. Loud. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. I have, like, different, almost like different characters. There's sort of the asshole, you know? There's the Jesus. There's Donnie. <laughs> sure, there's, there's the Jesus the who just wants to, like, perform and make a spectacle of himself. There's the dude who just wants to take it easy. But it's, like, out loud, and, man, I feel like I get caught sometimes when people are around. Like, I'll be get, I'll park in the parking garage... I'd be like, yeah, great idea. Put your lunch in the back seat. Now you got to open another door, lean back there, get the lunch. You couldn't just leave it up here in the front. I'm like saying this out loud. And I feel like people are around me, maybe listening. But maybe they're just like, I do that too. Maybe the people are the same people that are inhabiting your head. <laughs> Don't say that kind of thing. That's I, that's not what I need to hear. So there's a firework. And the little dots transform themselves into streetlights down on the ground because we're looking straight down from like 10,000 feet up. Right. And for a moment, you think they're stars. At least I do. Yes. Looks like stars. And maybe they even are supposed to be stars. Like, when you get hit, you, you supposedly see stars, right? That's exactly it. And not only that, they are briefly transforming themselves, all these like little dots going out from the center of this firework explosion. They transform themselves into little um, constellations. But the constellations, we realize, are like little shopping centers, like little right. more densely populated packets of light right. that we're seeing from two miles up, which are like little shopping centers or strip malls or whatever. Right. Well, the explosion, so the fireworks are kind of like a green and bluish purple color. Right. 
And then they kind of, all those things kind of settle in places, little white dots. It kind of looks like a starry sky. But then the purple and green kind of reappears. And there's like this weird little animation of like kind of lines forming out of them. And it's, and then so, oh, okay, this, it then turns into, yes, the aerial view, like looking straight down at the city. In which case, I believe it just turns into you know an actual actual photography. Well, like I, a, a, I a helicopter shot or plane shot or something. I thought so. Two things. Number one, these little strip malls and shopping centers, and I want to say there's a like a larger square green one on the right. Yeah, there is. That looks like, like a baseball field to me. Somehow. No, you're right. In the upper left corner, the way it's like a diamond. Yeah. So, it's like an athletic field. It probably could double as like multiple sports. But yeah, 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 whatever you want it to. But you could use the corner as baseball. Use the whole thing as like a football right. field or exactly. soccer field or something. Exactly. Yeah. And then you know the the field goal kicker be pissed off because he has to like kick out of the dirt, and it's like you can't have me a grass field, damn it. But initially, when these shapes are blurring into focus, it almost looks like the background of the bowling alley, too. It looks like more Googie architecture for a second. You're right. I mean, it does. Well, right now, I'm just thinking in my head. It does like evoke that again with the patterns and the lights. Yeah, maybe like, yeah, look like it is too strong a word, but it, it evokes it. You're right. Right. These these star shaped patterns, and the dude comes flying across here, high as a kite apparently from being struck in the face. Yes, uh, arms like laying on his stomach, stomach down, flying arms out, kind of like like Superman. Right, for right. lack of a better description, right? The, the laziest Superman. Superman. Yeah, a very lazy Superman <laughs> is what it looks like. A Superman, Superman that's taken a for all us sinners. Superman smoked up and then decided to go over Los Angeles. That's in essence what this looks like. <laughs> Stoner Superman. Stuperman. <laughs> uh, I'm a professional punist, so don't be intimidated. Stuperman. It's no big deal. It's what I do for a living. So. No worries. And I was trying to figure out which... We're looking at the dude, he's coming towards us as he's flying in his Superman state. I was trying to figure out which way we, like the camera is looking, which direction we're looking, compass-wise here. And I want to say that we are looking north. What do you mean looking north? We're looking straight down. You mean north is... I'm talking about, this is at the very end of the minute, 30... Colon zero zero or twenty nine okay. colon fifty nine. Twenty nine colon fifty eight. We're looking at the dude head on. Right, he's coming straight towards us. Which way are we looking? Because we are directly in line with the grid of LA here, so it should be easy to determine. But I wasn't able to do it. We got mountains in the background, so you know we're not facing west. We're probably not facing east, and I don't think we're facing south. Well, if it matches with the next shot. The next shot, we see the dude's point of view. He's flying toward the sunset. Which would be west, but are we we're looking east then? I don't... Hmm. 
Now we're cheating now. We're into the next What's wrong now. with looking east? <sighs> looking east. I just didn't think those mountains would be there. Because L.A. is a valley, right? And there's, it's rimmed on the north by mountains. But the, to the east, yeah, there's mountains, but it seems like they're farther away. You know, because you go into the North Hills, where the tumbleweed was. It comes rolling down right. from the North Hills. And I don't think there's mountains right there to the east. I don't know. We I just, need to do I'm a not, road trip to L.A. to check this stuff out. we got to research this. We'll get our L.A. correspondent on this. Do we have one? We'll get one. We'll find one. Maybe we'll call around. I might have some connections. Work them, man. Work them. Now is the time. You know? Only live once. So that brings us to the end of this minute. I guess so. When we've hit there. I mean, do we need to go back? No. I don't think. My only regret is that we don't have a new heavy metal Lebowski-themed song to take us out. Let me ask you this question real quick, though, before we go. How was your re-entry into civilization? That is very hard to answer. I was doing pretty good. Uh-huh. It's only Tuesday now. Hit some snags today, I have to say. Uh-huh. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I had, uh, you know, so it's kind of this game I started playing. So I can't remember when exactly. I'm going to say 06. Okay. This happened. I went to vacation, came back. You kind of have a vacation feeling going on. Yeah. And I managed to keep that vacation feeling, I would say, for at least two months. It's a good feeling. For at least two months, I kept that feeling going. Like, yeah, I have to go to work. But that's just like, okay, it's just something I have to do. But, like, you know, I'm still on vacation. How did you do that? And then, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it was like I did a, you know, it was just like, all right, well, I'm going to go do some work. But when I come home, I'm on vacation. Okay, okay. And I thought, like, okay, what would you do if you're on vacation right now? Well, I'd fire up the grill. Right, kick back. I'd have a beer, kick back, do right. whatever. Lay in the you little know, right, comfortable I'm chair. At, yeah, I'm like, I'm not at the beach house, but I'm at a house. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, there's a state of mind, right? Mentally, the beach was there. Yeah, yeah. And it worked pretty well. All right. That one time, two months. So ever since then, so I, mean, I don't know exactly what just ago. happened. So ever since then, it's a little game. Like, okay, well, how long can I make it go this time? Last time was two months. What about this time? You know, and sometimes it's like one day. Sometimes it's like two weeks. Um, I had like 40 minutes. So, yeah, I might. So it might be done already. I'm not sure. I definitely hit some major snags today. Yeah. Some major, like, frustration anger, wailing, gnashing of yeah. teeth and sound. Like, ah, Tearing your sackcloth, you know, rubbing yeah, ashes on your face. Yeah. Just ripping your... Uh, I know. Maybe it was just... I'm hoping it was just a temporary setback and I can get back into the groove. I don't know. I think once you go into the pit, it's hard to come out. It, you might be right. I mean, even if I can come out... Like, right now, I'm fine. 
But am I back in vacation mode? I don't know. We'll I, have to see. I always wonder how much of my actual life I should talk about on this show. But if you don't talk about your life, then what are you talking about? You're making it up. You're not keeping it real. You know, you got to exactly. keep it real. I agree. Right? I agree. So, unfortunately, now I'm going to talk about this. A friend of mine, so we got back from vacation. Okay. That's where we'll start. You said it yourself. You get back from vacation, you kick back, you fire up the grill, you're still in vacation mode. It's exactly what I did. It's going to be great. It's going to be fucking awesome. So it's gas grill, fire up the grill. 30 seconds later, screaming, tiny, tiny little screams. Ah. Open the grill. No, no. Nest. Tiny, tiny pink little babies. Tiny pink little beautiful little mouse babies. Writhing, dying in pain. Burned. Eking out their last little screams of life. Turn the grill off. Um, most were dead. One had to be sent to that place. That was my re-entry into society. Um, That's a rough re-entry. And the only reason I bring, not the only reason, like at on some level, I just need it's a catharsis to talk about sure. it. But um, the scene in raising Arizona where the bounty hunter he was especially hard on the little things the defenseless things and so like that was the scene yes. I was seeing like him on his motorcycle with like the fire of hell coming out behind it yes. with a shotgun and he brings it out and it's like the little bunny there boom he's like so hard on the defenseless things and I was just like ah the defenseless things sometimes have it the roughest. Other Cohen brothers tie in. Yeah. Um, That's rough. I've had... Friggin' rough, man. Similar experiences. Not quite exact like that, but yeah. I mean... As human beings treading on this earth, we definitely wreak our share of destruction, unfortunately. Right? You don't want to. You had a... I'm not saying you were going to do this but you had a period in time where you talked about this and it was you would only eat things that fell upon the earth <laughs> well, I never did that right that's like the ultimate so you know you could have you know like ethical vegetarians or vegans right that who you know like a vegetarian who pretty much doesn't eat any like dead animal for ethical reasons, because doesn't want to kill. They have vegans who doesn't get any animal product because they don't want to kill animals. They don't want to enslave them in any mm -hmm. way. Then there's Jainism, which is Jainism. Jainism. It's another like a ism. religion. It's another ism. It's like a religion. Um, I think it's uh, don't. I could be getting this, really getting this wrong, but I think it's like some. It's I won't know any better anyway. To Hinduism, maybe, or you know, I think it's from India. Right. I gotta look it up now quickly while I talk about it. But isn't it all you know, from India? Yeah, it's an India Indian religion. 
that prescribes a path of nonviolence toward all living things. And in essence, what they do, yeah, they pretty much go into, like, they take it to maybe the most extreme, where not only do they not kill any animals or enslave them, they also don't kill any plants right. or harm any plants. So they will only eat the fruit or things that fall to the ground now off the trees and that's it and they don't part of their thing is they don't kill bugs either so like you know you'll often see them you know walking carefully you know they don't want to step on any bugs and things like that and here's they the, have like a brush i think like maybe like a brush they use to brush like the path before them to make sure there's nothing on it even though doesn't the brush have the here's bugs? here's the thing though depending on yeah <laughs> I don't want to get too political about this, but depending on your interpretation of when life begins, like eating that fruit with all those seeds that all have the potential for new life. Well, you don't eat the seeds, dude. Oh, what? You spit them out? But then you're affecting its chances, dude, because that whole fruit area is like supposed to be its feed bag. It's is nature's that, feedback. Well, but isn't part of the strategy? Now, here's where we're getting to, to science. Well, for birds you know, to, to eat it and then shit it out somewhere? Yeah. Maybe, but we shit down the toilet. Not Janists. Janists don't shit in toilets? Where do they shit? They probably shit out in the ground and the tree grows there. Is that true or are you making that they up sh- now? No, I'm just making it up. It could be true. I mean, when this was started in like, you know, the 6th century BC or whatever, they didn't have toilets. But they had places where they would shit. They didn't, just didn't fly above the earth, like, shitting all over. Like, oh, let's drop the seeds over here, you know? Yeah, can't, can't answer that one. I'm, my point is, like, it's all shades of gray. Yeah, it, it's no, like, you're right. Even like to the Janists, you're right. 40 or 50 shades of gray. So it, it all depends on where you want to draw the line, I guess. Me, I don't draw it. I just smash all the little things, um, wreak havoc. On anything that's smaller than me, apparently. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, we don't have any other shit to talk about, do we? I don't think so. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Put the proverbial bow on it. Yep. Call it a night. All right, Adam. Brad. Again, a pleasure, a supreme pleasure. As always, excellent, excellent supreme pleasure. Good night, Jesus. We will see you in, I don't know, 100 more episodes or something like that. Right, we'll see you in 2015, Jesus. Maybe we'll see you on the... Next time on Gutterball.